Hi, my name is Danielle Day, and I am the founder and the lead trainer of Open Up Yoga Teacher Training. We have been training some of our region's best loved yoga teachers since 2013. We're currently in session number 56 of contiguous 200 hour RYT sessions that I've been directing and teaching since about 2013 when we became Yoga Alliance School number 117218. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to make some videos here to illuminate some concepts that we use in teacher training. And I think this will be well worth your time if you are a student who's curious about the bigger picture in terms of the anatomy, the physiology, and the philosophy, history, and humanities aspects of the practice and tradition of yoga. This first piece is pretty much the preamble to our entire program. And what we'll be working through are the concepts related to the practice and tradition of yoga here in the 21st century. We're using the book that we have written, we, myself, my husband, and countless friends who have helped edit and provide feedback for this, Teaching Yoga, The Side Hustle to Save the World by Danielle Day. How to live your yoga and earn your living, embracing radical self-acceptance and love. It's available on Amazon in ebook form, but with a bit of luck and hard work, we're going to get this in the hardcover form soon. Thanks for listening. Okay, so the idea here is we're going to start on page three, and this piece, Yoga as Spiritual Direct Action, is my effort as a teacher trainer to set us up for answering the question, what is yoga? You know, a lot of times when we think about what yoga is, of course, we think about postures and we think about a beautiful practice, unifying mind, body, and spirit. And here in the digital age, it's fun that we could perhaps explore this territory together free from the constraints of time and space. And one thing I just get really excited about with these pieces is the chance to give my students a chance to review concepts that fly around in teacher training. And so with that being said, let's set our intention for this first piece. My goal, my effort here toward the learning objectives is all about helping you understand yoga as spiritual direct action. It's taking what you love and making it the way you live your life. And I believe very strongly that that's how we can help to make the world an even better place. So let's begin. So on this page three here, we work about this nice little item here I'm, I'm offering. I wrote, yoga, it's slow and purposefully awake and about seeing just how fine everything already is. That's yoga. So that concept of really slowing down your life and taking a moment to really reflect that maybe everything really is fine is a pretty radical concept. A lot of our bandwidth throughout the day is about self-improvement. It's about changing what is. It's about anticipa anticipation for what we want to be. It's about making something happen so that we do better tomorrow. And these are all healthy pursuits. They can certainly work to make our lives effective and enjoyable. But perhaps a little bit of this being in pursuit might just be about missing the point. 
maybe, maybe stopping and reflecting about just how fine everything is, is the secret to success, the secret to happiness. And this purposeful dedication towards gratitude is something that is not in our default setting, is it? Our default setting as human beings is to perpetually be a little dissatisfied, a little bit on edge, a little apprehensive, a little worried, and pretty darn sure that we're the center of the universe and the whole wide world maybe ought to work a little harder at devoting (laughs) itself to making us happy much like my dog in the background here who's gobbling down his breakfast so that his cat roommates don't steal it. Hang in there, Nemo. Enjoy. Slow down. Taste every morsel. And trust me, the cats don't want dog food. So with that funny little example, we might throughout this hour together take a moment to think about the ways in which our preconceptions and our notions and our default settings that the whole wide world should devote itself to making us happy might just be something to become aware of and gently and compassionately work toward addressing. You know, yoga is not here to change you, but it can be a very effective tool for revealing what some of the themes are in your life. And if your goal in life is to just have a little more fun, then it might just be something to consider. So let's get started. All right, turning the page here, looking at page four. I have an offering here that, like everything I have to teach, is merely inspired by what my teachers taught me. And one thing I'm so grateful for was this concept of stillness, clarity, and light. In my practice as a student, I make an effort to seek out teachers that help raise the vibration and help me see the big picture. And in the book, I acknowledge warmly and gratefully the efforts of these teachers and you can read their names in the acknowledgement section and so with that being said the George MacDonald quote that I think a lot of us attribute to um, the guy who wrote the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe here we go you do not have a soul you are a soul you have a body Yeah, somebody named George MacDonald said that in 1892. And what I love about that memo is that we are spiritual beings. We are vehicles of light. And the yoga tradition holds that. You're wearing this earth suit and you're making your way through your life. And life's going to hand you some contrast sometimes, like dukkha. And it's going to afford you some real sweetness and, and, and beautiful, happy, lovely experiences called sukha. And the practice of yoga is about a conscious eightfold path, a conscious decision moving towards liberation from suffering. So if you start at the beginning that maybe you are not your body and maybe you are not your thinking mind and all of its ideas and preferences, opinions, Maybe you are a soul, untouched by time and space, perfect and beautiful and pure and whole. And that what you have got a hold of for this brief time is a body, your physical form and its attendant monkey mind. So see, we're already talking about three realms, right? I love this whole perspective that we could think about you 
me, us, everyone, as three people. Number one, there's your physical form. And that's, that's who we think you are, right? You know, we look at your body. We ascribe different attributes per your height, your gender, way that you're showing up in the world. Just, you know, your general vibration, appearance, obviously. I mean, you know, humans are pretty basic creatures. And we make immediate snap judgments and assessments upon our first impressions. And this first impression has everything to do with your physical form. So we consider this category of your physical form who we think you are. Okay. So now inside you, in your mind, especially in quiet moments of reflection, when you're able to notice your habitual thought patterns and your personal narrative and, you know, your likes and your dislikes, pretty much everything your left hemisphere of your brain has going on. As who you think you are, you know, there you are, you're walking around all day long with your left brain, the left hemisphere of your brain, and it's serial, you know, discussions of preference, of choice, of memories, of imagination, you know, remembering and planning, thinking about details and the details about said details. Does that feel familiar? Yeah, that's you and your thinking mind. Again, Here's what we can think of it as. This is who you think you are. Okay, so there's that. Now, there's a bright red line between these two realms we've just described and this third realm. This third realm, this is the big picture we're talking about here, who you really are, right? So when George MacDonald said, you do not have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body, we're saying you are a soul, we're saying you are perfect and pure and whole and eternal and timeless, untouched by time and space. And this realm here, we consider who you really are. So in yoga, we might think of that as your spirit. But hey, this is North America in the 21st century. We're not going to open general population, all levels classes talking about God and breathing. I know that can rock the boat for some people. Some of us don't have a spiritual tradition and that counts as much as some of us who have a very well-defined spiritual tradition and we don't want to step on anyone's toes in this realm it's not our place to really seek to define the divine so you know we want to be really careful and clear what can we all get behind god and breathing the breathing part the breathing part we all breathe it was the first thing we did when we got here. It's the last thing we'll do before we leave here. And so in yoga, we use some code words for spirit, for soul. We say things like energy. We say things like light. We say things like vibration. We say things like breath. Let's be clear. We're talking about prana. And in the yoga tradition, prana, P-R, big A, little N, little A, prana, is your life force. And what's the relationship between prana and breathing? Well, prana, the life force, it rides in on the breath. Think of the breath as the vehicle. And so what we're saying here, prana is the light, the energy, you, who you really are, your soul, untouched by time and space, formless and essential, a piece of the light. In the yoga tradition, it's held that we're all a small piece of the light. 
that this big light from which we all come from and which we're all headed towards is the big picture. That's what we're saying on this side, the divine, the universe, that you're a piece of this. You are the piece of the divine in the universe, that you're wearing an earth suit. Your body and your mind are your earth suit, the physical form and the mental fluctuation. Okay. So here we are. We're uniting these three things, who we think you are, who you think you are, and then who you really are. Okay. Are you with me so far? All right. Let's take a big breath. In fact, let's keep going with that. All right. So sit up nice and tall. Don't cover your microphone, your production team, AKA your husband. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Would not like that. And look, here's somebody with a different kind of earth suit. This is Milo, or at least the back half of him. And let's sit for a second and all of us breathe together. All right. So get up tall in your spine, close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, or you might look down at a spot on the floor. And once you close your eyes, you become very aware of your other senses. What can you hear? What can you smell? What kind of sense of taste is there in your mouth? What's the sense of the temperature of the room on your skin, your clothes against your physical form. And once you check these boxes, now go inside and look inside your lungs. This whole time, since you were born, you have been breathing. And the minute you turn your attention inside and notice this, you're occupying very important territory of the here and the now. Now start to shape and, and help this process. So empty your lungs completely using your core muscles to empty the low lobes of your lungs. And then take a big breath in and feel your back body widen. And as you exhale, exhale a little past your normal breath end point, emptying completely. And breathe in. And go a little higher up into the collarbones a little further than you typically would breathe in. As you exhale, participate. Squeeze and contract to the inside using these muscles at your navel spine, pelvic floor, and chin lock. Breathe in. Feel the expansion of your shoulder blades. Your spine remembers its wings. And as you breathe out, visualize and notice your scapulae, your shoulder blades contracting and drawing toward each other like wings folding to your sides. Let's repeat. 
This is the great bird of prana as spoken about in the Upanishads, the sacred texts that underpin the Hindu culture. And that this bird of prana inside of you can be harnessed. It can be guided, restrained. The golden lasso around the bird of prana, this visual you might think, kind of like taming a dragon, is the process we call pranayama. Okay, so now give yourself a few quiet moments with this. So now, before you blink your eyes open, I submit to you humbly that you shift into your right hemisphere of your brain when you do this. Whenever you have first stillness, like this, for your physical form, you then help promote some clarity in your mental mind your thinking brain. Maybe thoughts aren't so fast or scattered or sharp. And that when you practice this activity of pranayama, you shift over to the right hemisphere of your brain just a little bit, and that's where the light can find you. You know how it is when you trust your intuition, when you, you know, act upon your hunches, or when you just take a moment without agenda or preference or complaints and think about how fine everything is. Really stopping to notice that you are breathing. You are well. And you are this strong and you are this loved. That's the light. And that, my friends, is the right hemisphere of your brain. It can only exist in what's happening now, this moment, just like breath. You can only breathe in the present moment. Can't breathe yesterday, can't breathe tomorrow. You can't relax yesterday. You can't relax tomorrow. You know, we teach in the yoga tradition that if we're always planning ahead to take care of ourselves, we're always planning ahead to slow down, we're always planning ahead that once we check all these boxes, once we get all these ducks in a row, then we'll relax when we get there. When's there? Like you're here now. And the more that you can slow your life down and purposefully witness your breath, and about how fine everything really is right now, the more satisfied and happy you are. It's a sad irony. The faster you go and the more you accomplish and the more you prepare and the more you try to get ahead of things and get on top of things, the less space you have to just be. I, I feel like as a parent, 
that's the real lesson and the real offering I make in these ideas of yoga is, man, when my baby was little, I just wanted her to talk. I wanted her to walk. I wanted her to go to school. I wanted her to go to bed. I wanted her to learn how to do this and go to high school and go to college and go to graduate school. And, and she's accomplished all those things. And I look back and I think, oh my gosh, I missed out on it. I know I was there for part of it. Like I remember nursing her. I remember singing to her. I remember reading to her. But I can't go back and get that back. And the whole the time we were working through her childhood, I was going through a lot of transitions in my life, but I was also making a lot of choices for my prana to be more awesome. You know, I was an Ironman triathlete and a coach. I was a fitness professional and then I was a single mom and a yoga teacher and a yoga teacher and a yoga teacher. And this whole time I was missing out on really noticing my life, which was my child being a child. We like to say that childhood is the, <laughs> the longest, shortest time of your life. So it's an example that we can slow down and really notice our kids and our family members, our friends, our loved ones. We really can hug them and not wait till the hug is done to go do our next thing, but really hug them. You know, no matter who, whether it's your pets, your family members, your friends, or your beloved, it's a really great practice to be able to just be. No distractions, no agenda, no goals, no pursuit, just enjoyment. You know, life, life is a busy place and we can choose to always stress out about getting our ducks in a row, but man, doesn't it just seem like every year goes faster? I'm really grateful for the memo. First there's stillness, then there's clarity so that the light can find you. So what do we do with that? Well, we in yoga, as teachers, we hold space for other people. We hold space for the transformation of others. We hold space. You know, this is so cool. We help students come to their mat, getting off of their screen, you know, their phones, out of their cars, away from their desk, and just out of their house to get into mandala, sacred space. Mandala, sacred space, the four corners of their mat. And in this first video of the many hours we're going to spend in these tutorials, I really want to set us up for success, defining what our goal is, our intention as teachers. It's to help people slow down. First, there's stillness. And then there's clarity so that the light can find them. Not a lot, but a little and enough. And it is fun to go fast in class. I'm, I'm a junkie for speed. But I know that the faster I go, the more distracted I am and the more entertained I am, the less I learn about myself. So that's why we have all kinds of traditions. We have the Hatha practice, going from nothing to something, back to nothing. We have the power which has all of our bells and whistles and flow and go. But even in that class, there is opportunity to stop and notice the breath and, and be. And then, of course, we have yin and restoratives. 
so that we can really honor time and space in which to stretch out and explore our breath and the physical sensations in our practice to which we can offer awareness, compassion, and observation and allow for this process. First there's stillness, then there's clarity so that the light can find us. We also have the Yoga Nidra, which is going to help us conk out a little bit and get really into the subconscious, which is lovely. And we have Yoga Sculpt, which is the opposite of all of it, which is just throw down in an effort to witness how strong we are, how powerful we are, and how we much can love our physical form as it is today, not always trying to change it, because fitness tells you, hey, there's something about you we can improve, that we can measure, and we can make better. Yoga says, you find the way you are, and, and let's slow your life down a little so you can witness how fine everything is before it's gone. You know, one of the big events of my life was that my mother died seven years ago, and I'm never far from that memory because it compels me to show up for my own child and say I love you as often as I can, as well as show up for my husband and say, welcome to another day together. Let's, let's enjoy all of it. Let's put away any sort of fear or anxiety or worries about the future for another day because our days are numbered. You know, my mom and my stepdad were deeply in love. They'd been married for two decades and I dedicate pretty much everything I do to their memory that they would give anything for it, a stressful evening at the kitchen table looking at bills or that they would give anything for a boring night on the couch conking out watching TV. And that every single day they had really was imbued with a sacred and beautiful, delirious amount of love they had for each other. And that delirious amount of love that they had for each other, guys, it's whatever delirious amount of love you have for your life, the people in it, your blessings. Count them up and notice them. Otherwise, it's like slapping God in the face. You know, all these grains of sand going through the hourglass, they're going to slip through and they're going to slip through our fingers. And before we know it, we're out of them. What'd you do with each one? You know, this is important. Live like you're dying, right? So to these ideas, we have yoga. And to these ideas, we dedicate our efforts to helping hold space for students in the best classes possible. We have our five facets of a brilliant class, which you will learn throughout this program so that you understand how to properly execute timing where you begin and end your class on time. And it's compo comprised of three 20-minute segments, a warm-up segment, a challenging segment, and a floor segment. Number two, that you use effective music that supports the activities at hand. Music isn't just something on in the background. No, it's something that we carefully work with as an element, a facet of a brilliant class that supports the efforts at hand. Whether it's go music or slow music or flow music, we're going to use it, not just have it on. Number three, we have three kinds of adjustments. You're going to learn the verbal adjustments. You're going to learn the energetic adjustments. And last resort of physical adjustments. In this day and age, it's not appropriate to put your hands on a student. Now, there's a few exceptions to that in terms of like, you know, people that you're really close to and you really know, but like general level, you know, general population, all levels, classes, it's just not appropriate and it's the, your least good idea. Safe transitions. What's a safe transition? 
sure, you can write something on paper, or you can look something up on Instagram and see these fun, sexy, you know, classes that throw the bells and whistles at you. But if you're changing planes of motion using joints that can't handle that joint action, it's not awesome. So we're going to look at what comprises a safe transition. And the fifth facet of a brilliant class as per the Open Up Yoga Teacher Training Program is all levels all the time in real time. You know, we love the internet and all the good things that YouTube videos have given us. And I'm benefiting right now just as we all do. But I tell you a hazard of this has been teachers being in a video saying, here's how you do this move. And then going to teach classes saying, okay, everybody sit there and drink some water while I show you how to do this move. Like, is it in their practice or are you just coming and foisting your practice upon them? So we're going to work on all levels all the time in real time so that everyone has something to do and be successful at. Senior students, the flyers, people doing all the fancy things right alongside someone who's brand new, healing, curvy, of size, or, you know, not up to speed yet. Like we can have both of those kinds of students in classes and we're not going to miss a beat. The flyers are going to know what kind of time they have to explore their space with the green light on to take their inversions and their arm balances alongside other people working in their lane on where they can be today. In our tradition, we never use the phrase, and one day you'll, because it's just not true for everybody. You know, that whole thing about dandemana bibhaktapada janu shirasana, forehead to knee. All right, bend your knee as much as you need to, and one day your forehead will be on your knee. Well, I have a short torso, and even when I was about 65 pounds lighter than I am now, I never had my forehead on my knee, ever. It was a rumor. Same with your basic Sharvangasana, the shoulder stand. You know, kick your legs forward more than you think you need. Take the banana shape out. Well, you know, sometimes people are a little tighter in their hamstrings than in their hips. It's not going to work for everybody. You know, let's talk about Sasangasana, the rabbit pose. Oh my gosh. Keep scooching your knees forward till your forehead meets your knees. Someone with a short torso like mine at any body weight, I'm talking, I'm like going to just keep on scooching my knees right off of my mat. Is that what we want? No. So this one day thing, it's not helpful. This is going to be all about teaching all levels all the time in real time. So that's what we're in for here. All right. So let's explore some more of what we have going on in this um, section. It looks like we have talked a lot about this whole thing about stillness, clarity, light. I like to bring in other resources. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, had a quote, muddy water held still becomes clear. And that's the whole memo here. When you first arrive to practice, you're on your mat, whether it's for meditation or for pranayama or for asana, the postures, you're a little scattered, right? Your brain is a little jumbled. But once you start to just slow down and pay attention to your breath, just like we did in our little breathing activity, these muddy waters, you know, the particulates of thoughts and opinions and plans and ideas and fears and worries and to-do lists start to settle. And what you're left then is clarity. Muddy waters held still become clear. So, you know, that's advice from a very long time ago. The founder of Taoism knew that hey, life is busy with a bunch of hubbub to keep you going. But if you slow down and you pay attention to how fine things really are, well, then there's clarity. 
muddy waters held still become clear. So that's fun. Now, now the fun thing about this tradition that we're talking about is what the point of yoga is, all right? Clarity is awesome. The light will find us. But like, what's the big prize in the cereal, cereal box of yoga that we're digging for? <laughs> Samadhi, liberation from suffering. That's what this whole thing's about. I love it when you ask people, well, what does yoga mean? Yoga means union. Okay, uniting what? Like, well, body, mind, spirit. Yes. For what purpose? And then they typically tick off the goals in terms of the physical form. And these are very awesome goals. You can increase range of motion in terms of becoming more flexible. You can increase serotonin in the brain and really promote this fantastic bunch of endorphins. The neurotransmitters that promote pleasure, yeah, they are a thing after a yoga class. You have this wonderful endorphin rush. And you just feel better. I mean, who can forget the immortal words of Elle Woods in 2003's movie Legally Blonde? Exercise creates endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't kill their husbands. <laughs> so yeah, that's a thing with yoga. Um, but like liberation, freedom from suffering, like that's, that's the eighth limb. That's the major goal. The eight limbs of yoga Start where you're at with how you are living your life and they work their way up to liberation from suffering, samadhi, S-A-M-A-D-H-I, samadhi. So the thing about samadhi, liberation and freedom from suffering, it's all about how all beings are just trying hard not to suffer. That especially people, our left brains are hardwired for preference, for agenda, for harboring grudges or making plans or just remembering hard times or fearing what might happen. But that when you work the path of yoga, you get to this wonderful place, albeit temporarily, sure, of just really believing that this is what it's about. This, how loved you are, how strong you are, how happy you are. You know, just your sheer gratitude for having breath in your lungs and the stars and the moon and the sun and the wonderful pleasures of life like cats sleeping beside you, dogs chilling there, kids, you know, food. There's so many fun things about being alive, but when the hustle and bustle gets you down, it's hard to notice. So remember the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We learned about how you need to have your basic needs met first before you can have an appreciation of the more esoteric and the artistic. So too, the eight-limbed path of yoga starts from how you're showing up in the world and getting your basic needs met and then ascending to a place where you're not just thinking about yourself, that you're actually joining in communion, expressing this very deep and limitless amount of compassion and that's what the chakra system's about it starts from safety and security moving through getting along with other people and partnership and creativity moving through confidence and ego and your personal power and ascending up into the place of love and compassion of sharing of awakening and then of union so think about this as a practice this is a ladder this is 
not about trying to be perfect, but about being on the path. I hope this is inspiring to you because literally it's all I want to think about. It's literally all I want to talk about. And one thing I'm so grateful about being a yoga teacher trainer is that I get to talk about it. So thank you for listening. So let's take a look some more at what we have going on here in the book. I love that we got a chance to talk about all these things such that maybe this poem will resonate. I love this poem. Okay. Juan Ramon Jimenez as translated by Robert Bly. It's called I am not I. I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit and whom at other times I forget, who remains calm and silent while I talk and forgives gently when I hate, who walks where I am not, who will remain standing when I die. I am not I. I am this one. It's helpful to hear it a couple of times. Think about it. I am not I. I am this one walking beside me whom I do not see, whom at times I manage to visit and whom at other times I forget, who remains calm and silent while I talk and forgives gently when I hate, who walks where I am not, who will remain standing when I die. I am not I, I'm this one. I really think it drives home that whole George MacDonald point about you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And when you choose to acknowledge this idea, this I am not I, I am this one concept, is a wonderful place. Think about it. We're always getting after ourselves for what we're doing. That whole forgives gently when I hate. Remember, your emotions, your actions, your thoughts, you know, these words, these deeds, this is all of the purview of your physical form, your body and your thinking mind. And these, although they are your earth suit and they are what you're working with and they are something definitely to learn from, we rise above it in the yoga tradition and have compassion toward it because we remember, but that's not really who we are. That's just our earth suit. That's just this covering. That's just this material veil called Maya, M-A-Y-A, the illusion of material reality. We're going to get a little bit deeper into the koshas, these coverings, these different bodies we have, the bliss body, the intellectual, the emotional, the energetic, and the physical form. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can balance these so that you're feeling effective and great and balanced, sattvic. S-A-T-T-V-I-C, Satavik, this balanced state of equilibrium. And we'll talk about then how, here we go, on the other side, the who you really are, this is your higher self, this is your wisdom. So in terms of those koshas, those five physical, energetic, emotional, mental, and spiritual bodies, you can see how you have what's down here on the earth, the physical, the energetic, the emotional, and then you have this realm of discernment that you can stop the bus and remember to remember to take a breath, use a mantra, slow things down, get the clarity. So 
the light can find you and you can really understand, wait a minute, I'm not, I am not this one who forgives, who forgets, who does. No, I am this one standing beside me whom at times I manage to visit. That's my higher self. That's my breath. That's my soul. That's like who I really am. And at times I forget this one when I'm hating on something or freaking out or just talking my head off and it's a hazard of the job, falling in love with the sound of your own voice. And that's, it's kind of been my thing my whole life. And so it's my journey to learn how to be quiet sometimes. And that's part of my stillness. But to get back to the point, when you recognize that if you are not you, you are this one walking beside you whom you cannot see, you manage to visit sometimes and other times you forget, who walks where you are not and will remain standing when you die, then you can remember that's your higher self. It's who you really are. And this be the seer memo, S-E-E-R, be the seer, you know, use this awareness of your higher self, this, this gorgeous consciousness that looks down on the earthly pedestrian part of you, which is just rolling around in the mud, competing for scarce resources, you know, this illusion that you're a human being alone on the path and you're suffering and you're dissatisfied and that life is tough and people are mean and, and traffic sucks and the news is bad and the weather is awful and blah, 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 all those, you know, complaining parts of your physical and mental self. When you remember to remember by what? Slowing down, what? Taking a breath, what? Attaching to a mantra, what? Practicing the space of yoga. You're able to remember to remember how fine everything is. And that's when gratitude kicks in. This is a really healthy and well-adjusted way to live, but of course, it's a practice. We're going to get into traffic and be mad at somebody else. We're going to run out of cash before next payday and freak out. We're going to finish a meal and wonder if now our physical form is going to take a toll and that maybe we won't look a certain way and people won't like us anymore. You know, whatever your trip is, you can flip it by remembering to remember. And that's where the light is. That's where the light finds you. But how do you get to that place of clarity? First, stillness. So the clarity can happen so that you then can attend to the big picture, which is, whoa, being alive is a gift. Every day you wake up, don't put your feet on the floor until you are stark raving excited for another day in which to get funky. The gift of health, you know, literally keeping your heart beating, your breath flowing, and this beautiful abundance of blessings for you to notice. I know it's something that you just won't want to do some days and that's okay. But on the days when you remember to do it, it's a gift that just keeps on giving, not just to yourself, but everyone else who loves you. And that's the gift that we seek to give our students as yoga teachers when we hold space so that they can have stillness and then clarity so the light can find them. Okay, so we're trucking around, and what I'm excited about opening for discussion in this moment now is Sanskrit. Let's say it, S-A-N, right, San, S-K-R-I-T, Sanskrit. Now, there's no D and no P. It's not Sanskrit. It's not Sanskrit. It's not Sanskrit. 
It's Sanskrit. And why do we care? Well, because it's the root of all spoken languages. And every baby who's born, their mouth can make all of the syllables in Sanskrit. And although my English accent prevents me from really offering an authentic, you know, pronunciation of many things, I try my best. And what I'm here to tell you is Sanskrit is a wonderful way that we raise the vibration in our yoga classes because the sounds are so beautiful and it gets people out of their thinking mind because unless they speak Sanskrit, which is not going to be a whole bunch of our people in classes in this neck of the woods, and this is all I can speak to is the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we do have a lot of awesome East Indian clients from an East Indian descent, friends of mine who have informed everything I have to tell you and have helped me very patiently with my pronunciation. But like, you know, just normal everyday people aren't typically up to speed. So when they hear, all right, friends, Ustrasana, place your hands to your low back, press your hips slightly forward, lift your heart. It takes a couple beats for them to be like, oh crap, she's loading up camel pose. Camel, ah, right? Because you hear Ustrasana and you're like, ooh, tell me more. That way, your brain is a little clear going into the posture, okay? We particularly love setting up a posture in the Hatha tradition with the Sanskrit word first for this reason. Again, here's an example. Utkatasana, hips down, arms up, relax your shoulders, sit your hips back, press your heels, float your toes. Chair. Yeah, see, it's neat to get into it and then deal with chair. Like, think about it. How does chair pose, like just the words make you feel? It makes you go, oh, God, it's chair. That's the one where my legs are going to get really sore, but I love it because it tones my tush, so let's get into it. Instead, when you hear Utkatasana, hips down, arms up, then you're like, oh, you're, you're like open-minded going into it. Okay? Same with like, say, Urdva Hastasana. Drop your hips down. Push your belly forward. Climb your heart high. Look back. Go back. That's a back bend. But when you hear Urdva Hastasana, your mind is clear. You're like, woo, tell me more. Your back bend immediately. You attach to an idea of performance. Now, it's not to say we shouldn't use the English, especially in power yoga, we use the English because you got to get the people going where you need them to be sooner rather than later. So then we use the Sanskrit to just raise the vibration in travel time. Let's look at your basic sun salutation. Inhale, Ardha Uttanasana. What? That's not going to tell you anything. Inhale, halfway lift. Ardha Uttanasana. Exhale, forward fold. Uttanasana. Inhale, upward salute. Urdva Hastasana. Exhale, forward fold. Uttanasana. Inhale, halfway lift. Ardha Uttanasana. Exhale, Chaturanga. High push up to your low push up. Inhale, word, upward facing dog. Urdva Mukha Svanasana. Exhale, downward facing dog. Adho Mukha Svanasana. Inhale, heels high. Exhale, knees low, walk or hop to the top. Inhale, halfway lift, Ardha Uttanasana. Exhale, forward fold, Uttanasana. Inhale, Utkatasana, chair, hips down, arms up. Take a big breath here. Exhale, forward fold, Uttanasana. Inhale, halfway lift, Ardha Uttanasana. Exhale, Chaturanga, high push up to your 
Low push up. Inhale, upward facing dog. Urdhva Mukha Svanasana. Exhale, downward facing dog. Adho Mukha Svanasana. Now you don't have to throw the Sanskrit around with every cue and power as just showing off there. I've only been saying these words since 2002. Thanks for listening. But like you throw them in for decoration. People got to know where they're going so you heard it first. Half lift, chaturanga, high to low, up dog, down dog. But we're not saying them like that. No one has time. Halfway lift, chaturanga, up dog, down dog. Like no one has time to even breathe or move. So you can see you initiate the breath, say the name of the posture, and Sanskrit kind of makes it beautiful in travel time while they're moving. Okay? But why again say these things? Nobody knows what the words mean. Well, you follow it up with the directions, don't you? Garudasana. Let's begin. Inhale, circle, sweep your arms, touch your palms. Exhale, swing your right arm under your leg. Cross at your elbows. Bind at your wrists as able. All right, eagles, take your seat. Inhale, lift your chest. Exhale, sit down, sit low. Bring your right leg high up over, maybe wrapped behind your left. Sleeping eagle. Inhale, lift your elbows high. Exhale, touch your elbow to your knee. So the thing is, the Sanskrit saying Garudasana, it just kind of tickles the ears. It kind of puts you into an open, spacious place in your brain where it's not just all about performance. Eagle, cross your arms, sit your hips, cross your legs. So thanks for listening. Sanskrit is a beautiful place to work in your own right brain. It's hard to attach to these syllables unless you were raised in this tradition. But when your pattern recognition kicks in, you start to see the lovely memos. Yoga Sutra 1.2, Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. Chitta, Chitta, Chitta. That means your brain space, your field of consciousness, like your mind, like the, the place where the thinking occurs. Vrittis, vrittis, those are the thoughts. Nirodaha. Nirodaha means to reduce, to like slow down and lessen the fluctuations. So chitta vritti nirodaha. Let's say it. Chitta vritti nirodaha. That's Yoga Sutra 1.2. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, written in the year 220 of the Common Era, in the region we would consider today to be modern-day Pakistan, are just 198 little aphorisms, little quips, little quotes, designed to help you live a nice, happy life. So let's look at it. Chitta. Chitta. Vritti. Nirodaha. All right, so now Chitta... The container, Sat Chit Ananda, we have a little phrase in the sutra, Sat meaning truth, and Chit meaning the thinking brain space, Ananda meaning bliss. It's about talking about, okay, the truth, right, the container, and bliss. Like, your brain was meant to be a happy place, Ananda, blissful. But what gets in the way of that? Vrittis. Vrittis. There's five vrittis as outlined in the first chapter of the Yoga Sutras. There are five flavors of drama that get after you. And it's kind of a fun thing to think about how vrittis, the V-R-T, the vr sound, sounds a lot like vrikshasana, tree pose. 
and parivrita, something that's a twisted posture. Parivrita, vrikshasana, vrittis. What do they all have in common? It's about something that twists and turns. Think about it. Trees, vrikshasana, right? Trees sway in the wind, the, the branches and the leaves. Just like your thinking brain has vrittis. The things that are true information, our misperceptions of the information, our imagination, what happens when we sleep, and memories. Those are the five flavors of drama. The right information, our misperceptions of something, imagination, sleep, and memories. So those are always perhaps the five categories of the thinking monkey mind content. So it's a tool to use when you're meditating to think, could I name it to tame it? Could I put a sticky label on whatever just occurred to me? So when you're in meditation, it's not the time to try to stop the thoughts. Nirodaha is something that we're chasing if we're trying to make it happen. If you're trying to clear your mind, you've already lost. Nirodaha is that process of, remember, stillness, clarity, and light. So first you sit down and there's just a big, big mess up in there. And clarity happens when everything settles and then the light can find you. That thing about settling, that's Nirodaha. So let's do an experiment. Let's sit quietly for a minute and see if something comes up. We'll see if we can figure out what kind of vritti it was. Okay. How many things do you think just crossed your chitta in terms of vrittis in that minute? Uh, I know for me, the first thing that, that kicks off is imagination. I start to tell myself a story about how I'm doing. Here's a fun fact as a yoga teacher, you should never listen to your own <laughs> dialogue or think about what you might look like. It's kind of like tightrope or tightrope walkers are encouraged never to look down. Yeah, starting to listen to the words coming out of your mouth or like thinking about what you look like. I don't know if that resonates with you, but for me, the imagination is like, oh my God, I probably look so stupid right now. Oh my God, this is dumb. Who would, who would spend an hour listening to this information? Like, okay, you know what? I could choose to put my energy there about looking ridiculous or feeling ridiculous, or I could get to work. And so I'm pretty proud of how long I've been at this because trust me, friends, the longer you do this and the more that you see students benefit from what you're doing, the less important it becomes, you know, in terms of how afraid you are, the less important it is 
that you're even feeling good or bad or you feel ridiculous. That's just, that's not as important as the work that needs done. So yeah, my imagination kicks in and I start to think like, oh my gosh, does my hair look bad? You know, uh, you know, memory. Remember one time you were in a video and you didn't like the way that you looked. Maybe you will feel that way today. Like that doesn't help me. So I go back to my breath. The right consciousness and wrong consciousness, Vritis, this has a lot to do with like, okay, here are the facts. 60 seconds takes about enough time to say 60 repetitions of the word Mississippi. That's right information. So I could choose my meditation time to be going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Misinformation or misperception. Yeah, when you are holding an idea in your head and you're feeding that idea like a grudge, for example, or a fight, it, it is a thing that can get after you. Kind of like when you're driving, like someone cuts you off and you're like, oh, they were disrespecting me. They were critiquing my driving. Well, no, maybe they just had to pee. So they needed to execute a lane change a little sooner than they thought to make their exit to go to 7-Eleven or whatever. You know, Buddy Hackett had a great quote. He said, while you're holding a grudge, the other guy is out dancing. So I have a lot of narrative in my head sometimes that thinks about former relationships and what went down and or even just this morning like speaking with my husband like oh man is he disappointed in me for asking to use our joint checking account for a splurge like maybe he's disappointed in me that I wasn't managing money the way we discussed like no he just said no go to Costco on your own dime <laughs> He's probably not thinking that I'm a terrible person and I'm an awful wife and I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. He probably was just stating the facts like, no, we have some expenses right now and those are unplanned. So take it out of your, you know, fun money. You know, I mean, I could sit here and wonder like, oh my God, is he having a bad day worrying about cash flow and all this? And am I a jerk? Like he's probably having a great day at work thinking about how fine everything is. See, again, your brain is a place where a lot of thinking happens because why that's its job and why you're alive okay so meditation and the practice of yoga are not about to clear your mind and remove the thoughts no that's not going to happen but first there's stillness then there's clarity so that the light can find you and what i'm saying over here and suggesting and really forming as the basis of this program is that that's samadhi that's the liberation from suffering that's you deciding that maybe everything is fine that yeah there's a lot to do and plan for and there are things to remember or decide but how many times a day are you stopping dropping and doing gratitude no matter what the issue is let's take an example real quick of something where you could mess up say you forgot that you rsvp'd for somebody's wedding and that you've realized that you've overcommitted yourself 
for the month of weekends ahead? What to do? Feel shame? Feel bad? No. Be grateful you remembered so that you can immediately drop a card in the mail and go onto their gift registry and kick out some token of good wishes. You're not a bad person. You're just a busy person. What's another thing? Okay, the house being messy. How about that? You could sit there and be like, I have to spend time cleaning the house. Well, what if you flip that trip and say, I get to, I get to spend some time beautifying the space where I'm living my life with the people and pets that love me. Then it becomes a practice of celebration. Cat poop in the cat litter box. That's something to be happy about. Why? Because it means these guys don't have to go to the vet. It means their organs are working. Trust yourself when you remember that cat poop in the box is something to celebrate because at least it's in the box. And at least you have time in which to clean this box and your house in general. You can get mad at dirty dishes in the sink. Or you can say, you know what? I'm glad I get this moment to rinse these dishes and put them in the dishwasher. You can put on a podcast. Ooh, maybe something high vibration like light, not might. You know, or just like, you know, a podcast of something fun and happy that makes you feel happy to just be sitting there and taking time to wash the dishes and catch up with some fun story that you're interested in or some topic that is intriguing, right? Or to really notice these dishes. Where did they come from? Were they wedding gifts? Where did you buy this? When do you remember handing it to the person with a meal on it? Did they like the meal? Wasn't it nice to be able to sit down together? Like everything we do in life is a moment to be grateful for it. Even if it's something that we're bummed about, like, oh my God, I got to drive. Well, you also get to be in a motorized vehicle that is a safe and reliable mode of transportation so you can do the things you want to do. Don't ever take it for granted. It's kind of a miracle. You know, think about it. Or if you're taking the bus. Oh my God, there's so many people on the bus. Well, isn't it great that we live in a thriving economy where everyone has somewhere productive to go? It'd be like a totally different world if people didn't. I mean, I don't know if you remember, right after September 11, it was weird. Nobody was driving. Everyone was in shock and they were staying home and our economy almost collapsed. And that was just a real reminder, sadly, of the fragility of life. And yeah, you go and you remember, there's a variety right there, remembering 9-11, yeah. But the gratitude part kicks in when you're like, okay, but thank goodness we do stop the bus and honor that day. It means that we live in a society where life is precious and that the people we love and that we may be lost are still in our hearts. And that means that they're still living in our hearts and minds and that we are the kind of society that takes that stuff seriously. That's, that's, that's the, that's the Santosha, Santosha, S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A, Santosha. It's one of the Niyamas, the second limb of yoga, and it's about gratitude. All right. So vrittis, yeah, there's a lot on your mind. Name it to tame it. Vrikshas in a tree, parivrita, twisted, vrittis. Sanskrit is there to help you consider the patterns in life. Pattern recognition in terms of this great 
facet of your left brain's abilities informs the journey. So have fun with Sanskrit. Don't let it bum you out. Practice it. We love the Yoga 108 app that you can put on your phone because there's this wonderful Sanskrit pronunciation. And um, why don't we finish our video playing with the Yoga 108 app? All right, so here it is. We always have people put this on their phone in yoga teacher training because it can help us with pronunciation. So here we go. So arm pressure pose from Ashtanga, Bhuja Pidasana. Bhuja Pidasana. Bhuja Pidasana. Fun. Ooh, how about balancing stick? Tula Dandasana. Tula Dandasana. Tula Dandasana. Tula Dandasana. Now I know sometimes you hear balancing stick as Tula Dasana. Who cares? The students don't care. Either one is fine. Tula Dandasana. Tula Dandasana. Tula means like scale. Like when you put an orange on the scale at the supermarket, how the big needle like swings back and forth. That's what we're doing in this posture. And dandasana, danda is telling you that you're on standing leg. And dandasana means like a stick. So like, you know, like a shepherd wielding its flock with the, with the staff. Dandasana, staff pose. Tula dandasana. It's, it's, a, it's a stick that's going like this because it's balancing out. Tula Dandasana. Tula Dandasana. Yeah. So isn't that fun? All right. Let's go for... Ooh, Bird of Paradise. Swarga Dvidasana. Isn't that beautiful? Swarga Dvidasana. Swarga Dvidasana. Now, I know Dewey means two, so maybe it's talking about... Swarga Dvidasana. Dasana, Dewey Dasana. Maybe it's talking about the two legs doing something. Swarga Dvidasana. And Swargva. Swarga Dvidasana. Swargva. Swarga Dvidasana. Sounds a little bit like Sukha, like sweet. So, bird of paradise. Maybe there's the Sukha in that first part talking about the paradise. Swarga Dvidasana. Dewey. I know that means two. Swarga Dvidasana. And Dasana, like the, sti like the stick. She sticks straight. So, even if you don't know what the words mean... It's still fun to play in this space. So Sanskrit, again, it, it makes the difference between a yoga class and a fitness class. Nothing wrong with fitness classes, but we don't want to dare call it yoga. What do we call yoga? A place for people to explore the opportunity for samadhi, liberation from suffering. All right, so now that we've been through this lecture and we had some ideas, let's talk about follow-up and homework. Um, let this be a chance for you to absorb the concepts that we discussed, to take a quick peek from pages three to pages nine in your, in your manual. And you'll see at the end of page eight, you have the resources of Yoga 108, um, a nice CD by Nikolai Bachman called The Language of Yoga, and the videos on our yoga teacher training website under resources. And then the voice memos that are also on the website under resources. So use those and practice your Sanskrit for the postures in the Hatha, Power, and the Yin, as well as the restorative and yoga sculpt tradition. And I hope that you have lots of fun on this journey. Again, I want to thank you for your time. This one hour of video content has been a lot of fun for me. I know that Monty here got a good nap. And um, I just look forward to seeing you again soon. And thank you as ever for letting me be your guide on the path. I absolutely love teaching yoga teachers and I love teaching yoga students.
So hopefully these ideas will help you in your quest for stillness and clarity so that the light can find you, right? Namaste.